BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hey everyone, welcome back to the show. It's your host, Olivia Perez. I'm a journalist, interviewer, and the creator of Friend of a Friend show where we sit down with some of my friends, your friends, and new friends to host inspiring but down-to-earth conversations with some of my favorite luminaries who are making good change. I'm so excited for today's episode because I invited a childhood friend of mine whose work I am constantly inspired by and fascinated by, Carson Meyer. Carson is a Donna-certified birth doula, birth photographer, and the founder of an all-natural sustainable skincare line, See in the Moon. I talked to Carson about the process of working with a doula and the options available to mothers-to-be. We also talk about the issues facing our maternal care industry right now and how we can work together to bring deeper awareness and advocacy for women during the pregnancy process. And lastly, Carson shares some of her favorite resources to the best books for expecting mothers to how we can really show up for our pregnant loved ones in a time of isolation. I also wanted to share a new initiative Carson's working on for expecting moms. As a response to the COVID-19 pandemic, Carson is now hosting a community group called Growing Together. Growing Together is an intimate virtual circle for pregnant people interested in building community while deepening their knowledge around birth. It's a 12-session interactive circle covering topics such as healthy pregnancy practices for mind and body, birth education, tools for preparing for a hospital or home birth, comfort measures in labor, postpartum preparation, and more. She offers weekly emails full of recipes, journaling prompts, expert advice, and the sessions not only offer you invaluable knowledge for birth and beyond, but also offer an intimate community of mothers to lean on. All moms are welcome, and the next session begins on January 6th, so I've linked the sign up in the description of the episode, as well as the link to See in the Moon, her skincare line, which is honestly a non-negotiable body scrub in my routine that I cannot live without. I hope you guys love the episode. I am always so excited to hear your thoughts. So if you haven't subscribed to the show and you find yourself coming back, please take the time to subscribe and leave us a review. And if you love the show, share it with your friends. I really love when I see you guys are listening. So take a screenshot. And when you do, tag me on social. I'm at Liv Perez with two Vs. And I always reshare as you guys are listening. I appreciate you all. Thanks so much for tuning in today. Here's my friend, Carson Meyer. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to the show. I am so excited to be on the phone right now with a really old friend of mine who I respect and admire so much, Carson Meyer. Thanks. I'm so excited to be here. For people who don't know who you are, could you introduce yourself and tell everybody what you do? Yeah. So my name is Carson Meyer. I am a birth doula, birth photographer, and I'm also the founder of See in the Moon, which is a non-toxic skincare line. Which, by the way, if you guys do not have, 
is probably one of my favorite skincare products. Like I went through it so probably faster than I'm supposed to, but like I went through it, I think in like maybe two weeks when it first came out. And then it was just something that I was like, oh my God, this is so good. It's like in my mom's house. Like it is the best scrub you guys will ever put on your body. So I will link it in the description of this episode. You guys have to check it out. You probably remember it from New York because I was making it in my apartment when we were in college before it became C in the Moon. Oh my God, that is so funny. Mm -hmm. So for people who don't know, which I don't know why anybody would know this, but (laughs) Carson and I grew up together. We both have really similar roots in Malibu, Carson way more than mine, and ended up both moving to New York, went to the same college, and are now back in LA, but doing pretty different things. We we shared a a roof and a ceiling. We literally shared a a wall. We could say that's like a right wall, like, right? Yeah. <laughs> she lived right above me in college. And then my college roommate was one of her closest friends. And it was just like the best little like support system of familiar faces in the first year of college that I could have ever asked for. Yeah. So it was good times. It was great times. I'm curious to hear, we were speaking about this earlier before we started the show, but we had talked about like what it's like growing up in Malibu and how that's just kind of a totally different like orbit of experience especially as someone that then moved to New York and moved back. So I, I know your experience a little bit because I was like physically there, but I'd love to hear a little bit about like what that transition was like going from Malibu to New York. Yeah, I mean, Malibu is obviously a very small town, one high school, and I was lucky enough to really have the same friends my entire life and and grow up with the same people And so for me, I knew I wanted to go somewhere completely different. I knew I wanted to go to a bigger city where there was just more stimulation, I guess, than being in a beach town. I always knew I wanted to go to New York. My sister had gone there and I had a lot of family friends. And I think a lot of people just, you know, from LA end up going there. So it felt like home away from home. But I got there and I didn't realize how difficult it would be. I definitely struggled with anxiety. Understatement of the century. Yeah, I I was, it was really overwhelming. I felt like there was a lot of, uh, you know, academic uh, kind of commitment and work to be done, but also so many new friends and um, exciting opportunities and just, you know, the jungle that is New York. So that was, that was tricky. And I definitely missed home and missed that like tight community but was also so grateful for um, the people that brought me in in New York and made me feel at home there. So after you moved, you moved back to LA right after school. How did you first hear about being a doula? What was the moment that you were like, ooh, that's interesting. What's that? So I had a few moments like that. When I was in college, one of my classes assigned me um, to watch or assigned a class to watch The Business of Being Born which is a documentary about giving birth in America. And that, I cannot remember what class or why I watched it, but I remember so vividly being in my apartment. It was the year Rachel was abroad, so I was living alone. And I was hysterical after watching the film. Like it completely blew my mind. It was like a really one of those like aha moments. Like we're just like, I was blown away. So much so that I cried so hard. I called my sisters. They had kids at the time. I was like, you had kids? Like, you did this? Like, you gave birth? Or like, what, what's, what is really going on? Like, there's no way you're crying about a Ricky Lake documentary. I'm like, 
no, no, like you don't understand. And they're like, okay, like, do we need to fly out there? Like, what is going on? I was like, are you having an existential you know crisis? That? I was like, no, like I'm really taken aback by this film. They definitely talk about doulas in that film. And actually funny enough, the doula who trained me is in the film, but I didn't, that wasn't the part that like stuck to me. Like I didn't, I went on and continued with school. And if you'd asked me what is a doula, I probably would not have remembered from the film. The film really isn't about doula work, but it did make me really interested in childbirth and really interested in, in the process and the options around it. And so I moved back to LA, was acting and I had just met my boyfriend and I was at his friend's birthday party and we're at a bar and you know, he's a musician. I'm was acting at the time and, you know, in LA, that's kind of what, like what 90% of everybody here does. And I'm sitting next to his friend's girlfriend and she's gorgeous. And so I was like, oh, okay, like maybe model actress. And we start talking and she's like, yeah, I'm a midwife. And I was like, what? Like, I just, you know, beside my own gynecologist, like I'd never met somebody who had worked in this field. And so we always have this running joke now, you know, we do births together and she's this dear friend now, but I would, every time I'd see her out, she'd be like, oh God, it's Carson. Cause I would just stalk her. Like she'd want to like, you know, have a drink and like hang out and, you know, talk about other things. And I would just be asking her question after question after question about birth and this work. But she had started as a doula before becoming a midwife. And that was the first time I really thought about it. And then I took my training, I think pretty soon after. If you guys haven't seen The Business of Being Born, I actually watched it recently. I think if you are are a person who will end up giving birth one day or wants to give birth, it is so empowering. It basically talks about the maternity care crisis in the United States, how we're one of the only countries that has the birthing system like we do. And that in Europe and Asia, I believe the stat is that like 70% of birth rooms have midwives and doulas in them or just midwives. And in the US, it's 8% or less, which is an insane statistic when you think about it. People like Carson are very needed. But so I'd love to hear a little bit about what that movie, have you watched it since the time that you watched it for the first time? I make it a kind of like a requirement for all my clients and my students. I teach a birth prep class as well. And I make everyone watch it. I'm like, this is part of the curriculum. So we talk a lot about it. So it feels, it always feels really fresh to me. And since Ricky Lake, who created the documentary has become a friend and we've gotten to do some fun things together. And so I feel like it's the film that keeps on like giving. I had the same reaction. I think I always say there was like 50% of me was crying those tears of, of joy and like feeling that oxytocin and being like, oh my gosh, why was I sold and kind of taught these like through whether it's like, you know, sex ed or Hollywood films, like that birth is just this like very, very sterile, terrifying thing. I'm like very blood and gore when you see these beautiful births, we were like, oh, it does not have to be that way. But then the other part of me cried out of anger to see how, you know, like you had mentioned, just the system has failed so many women through so many generations of women. I want to hear specifically, especially for people that this might be a little bit foreign to, I want to really get into the kind of the nitty gritty of what your day to day is like and what your passion and mission is. But so say someone's listening right now and is interested in becoming a doula. What were the first steps that you took when you were bit by the bug that night in the bar and you were like, I need to do this and you were stalking your friend? What was step one in 
being able to get to the point that you're at now? Yeah, so I think I just like Googled it. <laughs> First thing that- You love a good Google search, always works. You always find what you need on Google. But I, yeah, I came across Beanie Burr, which is where I was trained through a doula named Anna Paula, who's the one that was in the documentary, who's incredible. And she's trained, I'd say most of the doulas in Los Angeles. And then I went on to get certified through Dona International. And so that was, that was my process. It's, you know, relatively quick and started reading all of the books I could get my hands on and then just really jumped in. You know, I remember Anna Paula after my training, when I went to, you know, set forth on certification, I remember saying to her, do you know somebody I could shadow like a doula who I could apprentice or something to, to get some births under my belt. I'd never seen a birth before. And she was like, no, you go do it. You know, like this is, Oh my God, that's terrifying. Yeah. But I'm sorry. Yeah. It's so scary. Wait, what? Like I just go do it. And she's like, yeah, hey, you took your training. You'll go do it. And you'll learn through there. And you know, a lot of the work that you'll do as a doula is intuitive. It's stuff you already know how to do. It's, it's support, you know, it's, I'm not, I'm not doing anything medical. Anyway, there was something about that that felt so scary. But looking back, it really is such intuitive work. You know, it's what we've been doing for our sisters and the, the women in our communities since the beginning of time. There's always continuing education. And like, I'm, I really believe I'm never done learning. Like, I still take classes. I'm getting my certification to be a nutrition consultant. You know, like there's always more you can build onto it, but at its core, being a doula is really just knowing how to support someone and advocate for them. I like that. I feel like in learning more about you and what you do, the word advocate comes up a lot. I'm sure that it is difficult sometimes to explain to potential prospective clients, you know, I'm going to advocate for you in that room. Okay. So you have a husband, maybe your mom's in the room, maybe your sister's in the room. And those could be advocates to an extent. But what is it about being a doula that allows you to advocate in a deeper way? Yeah, I think, you know, being a doula, you get to, again, step outside and see things outside of the emotional experience that you're in. You know, as doulas, we are trained to know a birthing person's rights, to know the rights of the family. So we're always really listening for the way even that providers are communicating with our clients. Guys, it's like having an emotional lawyer in the room. <laughs> right? There's, it feels like it. There's actually an organization, speaking of lawyers, called Birth Monopoly by a Kristen Pascucci, I believe her name is, but she's a lawyer who went through some birth trauma and realized in the process that she was not given true and informed consent. She was not, you know, treated with or presented with the rights that she had and the choices she had and realized that there are quite a few women out there who aren't and which is why doulas are around, which is why we need doulas. Anyway, so I think having somebody who is able to see that and know and know that, but also present someone with some of the risks and benefits and just, you know, I always say I'm, I'm never there to speak on behalf of my client. Although I am an advocate, my true intention is to support my clients to advocate for themselves. But I think sometimes in doing that, it's having that person to turn to, to say, to, to just be as educated as you can be on 
on your choices, essentially. And so much of that work actually happens before the birth. And that's what I do in my class. It's what I do with my clients, you know, when we work prenatally is to have them understand all of their options and the evidence that goes along with the risks and benefits of all those options. Um, so that when the time comes, they can feel confident in making decisions for themselves and advocating essentially for themselves. If there are any expecting mothers in that are listening right now that are curious about going the doula route, what can they expect in that process? Because you were just saying there's a lot of work that gets done before you're actually in the birth room. Yeah, I mean, every doula works very differently. In my circle, we go through kind of just every, every class is a different topic. So we do everything from just pregnancy health to breastfeeding to postpartum care. We talk about creating the birth plan, air quotes, or the birth intentions, learning about different interventions, learning about, you know, questions to ask your provider. And then a big part of what we prepare for is the comfort measures. And I love to equip all the partners with the toolkit so that they know how to best support their partners through the birth process and they feel, you know, less anxious about the process. But for those, you know, I have clients who want, know that they want epidurals and then those who intend to give birth without an epidural. And so we talk about pain management, alternative forms of pain management, whether that's using the ball or the rebozo and different breathing techniques and just reframing the pain. So those are all the things we go over prenatally. I'm loving the partner bit because I feel like that's something that's like genuinely left out. It's like you also have to prepare and sure, like grant guys, I have not, I'm not, I've never given birth. I've never gone through that process, but I do feel like besides the classes that you go to, like, how are you emotionally prepping like everybody around you to be supportive in that moment and also feel comfortable enough to be supportive in that moment? You know, that's what a doula is. We're containers, right? We hold the space for the family or for the couple. And I think having a doula to do that is maybe even more valuable for the partner than it is for the the mother, because, you know, it gives them the opportunity to be in their full power, to be in their confidence and in their strength, but to turn back and feel the support of somebody holding them up and saying, this is okay. You know, like say this, try this, you got this. It's okay. And it's a lot to ask. I think, you know, I always tell the especially the dads that I work with, I'm like, look, it is not necessarily part of your, of our evolution for you. I mean, it is a part of our evolution that you're in the room, but if we look back, you know, through history, men haven't really participated in this process. And really it wasn't until the like fifties that men were even allowed in the room. Like my grandma have her husband in the room. My grandpa wasn't in the room. He's out smoking a cigar in the waiting room. And so I say to the the men now who are showing up in the birth space who do feel anxious, I'm like, go easy on yourself. Like, this is so incredible, you know, that we're in this time where, where men are kind of equal participants in this process. Obviously, when I say equal, <laughs> one party's <laughs> going through a little bit more, but it might not be in our their DNA, but it is changing and it is becoming a part of of their existence and and the future existence of fathers. And I think it's so beautiful, but we're still in that transition where I think it's totally normal for them to feel out of place in that space. Is a lot of what you do also setting the space as well? Yeah. So for hospital births, I bring candles and essential oils and we have music playing and try and make it feel as homey as possible. 
but you do, I, I don't want to say you specialize in this, but I feel like a lot of the births that I see you do, whether it's on Instagram, which is the only place I would see you do <laughs> births, <laughs> are home births. Yeah. So I, I love being part of home births. Um, I do more hospital births just because they're more common, but actually I have to say, I think one of the, the highlights of, or silver linings of this time in quarantine is a reframing around some of our, I think, judgment around home birth. I read, again, I don't know if this is like a true statistic. I saw it on Instagram. So I'm trying not to, you know, quote everything I see on Instagram. <laughs> but wow. I love that. Let's take that into 2021, guys. You know, your <laughs> right? Like, <laughs> um, that there was a 500% increase in home births during COVID. Wow. Again, don't know if that's a real statistic, but just in my practice alone and like what I've seen, that that adds up. So many more people are giving birth at home right now or exploring that option. And I know I when I was watching the documentary, a note that I took watching it, and I know that Carson and I talked about this coming out about a decade ago, but even a decade ago, it stated that only 1% of births are done at home. Yeah. Yeah. 1%. 1%. What is it about home births that feels special to you? Like, what is it that makes you confident in them? Because I feel like it's definitely something that people could feel suspicious of. Totally. Well, I think that, again, we, you use the word taboo and I think there was, there is a taboo around home birth, but I think there's also a huge misconception around it. I think a lot of people think giving birth at home just means, you know, I'm just not going to go to the hospital and, you know, I'm going to be behind a tree somewhere squatting, going to give birth at home, right? Like this is some reckless thing. Um, when in fact, working with a midwife and getting midwifery care through your pregnancy, you're getting so much more attention to the detail around your health. You are building a relationship with your provider. Usually a, a meeting with a midwife is about an hour long, whereas in an OB's office, you are lucky to get 15 minutes. You're really able to not only address if you're a good home birth candidate, right, and to see you know what your risks are around a home birth, but also to work on your health, mentally, physically, emotionally, the whole the whole thing. So you, you go into it with so much more support, so much more preparation and so much more attention to detail around your care. In my experience, working with midwives. And then you have, you know, when on the day of the birth, you have a midwife who is there with you a lot longer again than your, your doctor would be in a hospital who is monitoring your health, monitoring the baby throughout labor, who is, you know, assessing the situation at all times, you know, assessing the safety of, you know, the birth being done at home and is working ahead of time, you know, to make any changes if needed to get someone to the hospital if they had to. So there's so much care and consideration and also still, you know, medical tools <laughs> that go into a home birth that really does make it safe. And then there's, you know, a whole bunch of reasons why for some people it actually is a safer option, right? You are reducing your risks of certain interventions that we know can lead to cesarean. And we also know that you're, you're having true informed consent and you really are the leader of your own experience at a home birth. Um, we're in the hospital. There's a lot of blanket policies that kind of, in my experience, sometimes put put everybody. Not that's not true. Not everybody, but it's less customized to what you need and the specific needs of you and your family. Yeah, I think what what 
and I'm sorry to keep referencing the documentary. It is my sole reference point into Carson's world. But I think that there were a few things in there that were part- that stood out to me the most. And I think one of them was watching this one woman have really intense contractions. And she was moving around her house and her husband was helping her move. And I think the narrator was saying something along the lines of like, why do we make women sit in these beds and just stay there in the most wrong position? And it even talks about dating back historically to the way that we initially started telling mothers to give birth, which was on our backs, legs up, which is actually the worst position to give birth. Everything from that perspective of it to even the way that they they talked a lot about inducements leading to C-sections and how a lot of people like plan their births and like plan to be induced. And unfortunately, there's a huge correlation between that and C-sections. And I think the thing that I walked away from was like, has this system become so corrupt that it's no longer individual for you and your child's needs? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's so much liability in it that a lot of decisions are made based on liability for the hospital and the doctors and the nurses. And I don't say that, you know, in a way to, I say that with so much patience, I guess, and um, trying to find like the right word, but with a real understanding, I think, even though I don't agree with some of the decisions made, but real understanding and I guess sympathy is the word I'm looking for, for what they are going through, because it is really hard to feel that pressure from whether it is the hospital, your charge nurse, you know, whoever is the, the top of the command, there's a lot of pressure and a lot of fear and a lot of money, a lot of liability that is placed on those decisions. So I don't think that a lot of these decisions are made because of malintention. I think it is, like you said, it is the system that is set up to make it be this way. If there was something that you could change about the way the maternal care system is in hospitals right now, what would it be? Oh man, how much time do you have? I have as much time as you want. The way the care would change. I mean, I would just start right now. I think, you know, I'm so grateful doulas are allowed back in the hospital and partners are back in. So again, in LA, it's it's better, but in other areas, it is not. So that's something that I think was needs work. You know, everything from, like you said, being able to move and labor freely, be wonderful to be able to labor in water, which I call the aquadural, right? To have access to showers and baths, to be aquadural, meaning that it, it is a similar pain reliever to an epidural. I wouldn't say it's similar, but I think it it's like the best tool in your toolkit, in my experience. Like the water is such a such a relief that I call it the aquadural. For those who don't want an epidural, I'm like, we'll go with the aquadural. But wouldn't it be great if everyone had that option in a hospital? You know, intermittent fetal monitoring with a Doppler. For low-risk moms, right, we know that the evidence shows that being able to move around in labor and not be tethered to a monitor equates to the, the same, if not better, birth outcomes. But yet, because of that liability, many mothers are still asked to be on continuous monitoring, which is very uncomfortable and limits their, their mobility and so forth. So there's there's so many different things I would I would <laughs> change in a whole. Um, but also knowing too, like my experience is very limited to the area that I serve and the people I serve, right? Which comes with a lot of privilege. And I also recognize that, that I am serving 
a community and for the most part working in hospitals that have a better track record, right? And, and serving a certain clientele that is at is not quite as high risk of death, frankly, right? And, and we're seeing now I think through the Black Lives Matter movement that there is really, really startling birth disparities happening in our country and women and babies are dying at three to four times higher black mothers and babies than a white woman. And that is based on racism. What's interesting about the birth disparities and how we know it really is based on, on racism and a bias is if you take a black woman who is CEO of a fortune 500 has all the money in the world and the best doctor and a black woman who does not, they are at equal risk of complications. And that is, this is a- yeah, it doesn't necessarily have to do with socioeconomic issues. It has to more, more do with just the color of their skin. I'm sure that, that it's obviously something that's often talked about in your field of work, but is there something within that that is a physical touch point for you and maybe some of your peers that you are able to get invested in and, and try to help rectify in a way? Totally. So here in LA, at least, and, and there's Kindred Space LA is kind of collective of Black midwives and birth workers who are opening up a birth center in South Central. And so that, again, that's a very local, kind of small scale one example, but having access to midwifery care out of hospital birth, um, and then of course care where you are, your provider is also Black, having midwifery care in general, right, tends to be better off for many people in that situation. But unfortunately, home birth, because it is not always covered by insurance or is just less accessible too many um, is not always an option. If we just create more opportunity for people to be giving birth in the place that they feel the most safe with the providers that they feel the most safe with, that is one, one way to implement change. And I think also education, understanding, and, and hopefully, you know, more opportunity for all of us that work in this field to be working through our own bias. So those are some of the things. And then Every Mother Counts, which is Christy Turlington's organization. She does amazing work. Black Mamas Matter Alliance does amazing work to provide doulas for Black women and mothers. So there's there's a lot of great organizations out there. And I can list off some more for you if you want to add them to the notes. Yeah, I definitely will, because I, I definitely want people to check them out and know that they're there. And Again, it's about awareness and access and being able to share those with people that we love and making sure that they're able to access it as well. Yeah. You brought up something earlier that is maybe my like favorite thing about you as a friend and as a as someone who admires the work that you do. You've never given birth before. You are in a place where you're su- providing support to women in the most intimate, beautiful way. And as your friend, I can testify to the fact that like, your presence is so angelic and calming. It always has been. Like, you've always been just like a ray of sunshine. So, like, yes, I'll be calling you in a few years if I need the doula support. <laughs> like, you are definitely the person I would want in the room. But I just wonder what that experience is like. And if you feel like being a doula and, and being someone in that role of support for other people is something that you're called to do versus something that you can study for. Yeah, I, I definitely think it's a calling. I mean, this work is, it's the best job in the world, but it's 
it's hard. I mean, there's times it really breaks your heart, you know, to like, that's what we we're talking about before to really see the disparities, to see what goes on in certain situations to, you know, it's, it's so full of that, like love and joy and, and beauty, but also has a darkness to it. And there's also, you know, sleepless nights and other things. And I definitely going into this work, I was like, I didn't know about that other side. I thought like, oh, just baby birth. It's so beautiful and so great. And more and more, I'm like, it's, yes, it's that, but it's also that a lot more. But I just, I love it so much. And even after, you know, some of those heartbreaks or some of those 40 hour births or whatever it is, like, there's no way that you can be in this role if it's not a calling or something that you really feel drawn to do and just really love. And so I know there'll become a time where I can't sustain it just physically, <laughs> physically whether that's when I have kids, um, because it is a lot on, on the body, but I love it so much. And I, yeah, I, I feel like a lot of it is, is a testament to my, my training kind of my, what I do and couldn't do it without the training. But I also think it has to be, it has to be more than that. I couldn't agree more. There are not a lot of people that I could pick out of a lineup that I say would be able to handle this work, but you definitely are the one I would pick. Yeah. It's very, I think it's, it's very soulful work. You're, and you also have to be a very giving person, I think. Yeah. You I mean, probably it, give a lot of yourself. I do. I am definitely giving, but it also like, I feel like it fills up my cup too. How do you balance that? Because I wonder what it's like, you know, you were just saying that a lot of it can be heavy work. And I think that that is something that's not often talked about. The struggles that new mothers and expecting mothers go through, but bearing witness to all that is tough. So I wonder if there are coping, not so much coping mechanisms, but you know, how do you find the balance? Yeah. I mean, that's a really great question. In the beginning, I did not. I, my boyfriend can tell you, I, there were some births that I came home and I cried for days. Like I could not shake it. I had no way of kind of grounding and getting back into my body. But I think just with time and experience and also through building relationships and mentorships, like Lori Bregman, incredible doula has been doing this work for 20 years, has become like a, a sister to me. And really having somebody who understands the unique experience of this work to process situations with and to kind of like have their arms to go to has made a huge difference for me. And then like really prioritizing, I hate the word self-care, so I can't believe I'm saying this, <laughs> like self-care. And like, for me, it is like, that's what I spend, what I make on, you know, is like caring for myself, getting acupuncture, getting my massage, like be, like doing what I do for others. Not that I do acupuncture, but like doing, you know, that the body work, the love and like doing that for myself. And then yeah, I'm actually working right now with um, the Motherhood Center, which is based out of New York, and we're developing a training for doulas kind of on this subject because I felt like it was something that was really left out of my training and something I wish that I had had more support in in figuring out that balance. And so we're working on, yeah, it's coming soon, but creating a community for doulas to work together in processing some of the births. Listen, guys, every support system needs their own support system. It's so true. It's so true. I do want to shift gears a little bit. I feel like your industry is one that has been impacted, but maybe not talked about enough. I feel like everybody and their mother is pregnant <laughs> to begin with, <laughs> I, which is so beautiful and so amazing. But I also feel like it's 
I want, I, I'm so curious to see how the industry is shifting, especially for you, whether it's in the form of virtual doulaing, you know, having limited people in the birth room, even to the impacts of our own mental health on pregnancy and even newborns. So how has this year been a challenge? Like what's kind of been the, the biggest hurdle so far in the past nine months that you've encountered in being a doula in times of COVID? I mean, it's fascinating. For doulas, it's been weird. We have had to pivot to virtual births, which it's better than nothing. But definitely, for me, it didn't feel intuitive. Again, I still oh even do it for some clients, even though that we're now, like if they want their mom instead, or you know, people who are out of state. Through this, I started um, a virtual circle, which was kind of my way of being like, I have all these clients who are really freaked out about potentially not having a doula in the room and wanting to be more prepared than they ever thought they wanted to be for this process. And I do think it propelled a lot of people to want to learn more and to be their best advocate and prepare their partner more than ever before. So the virtual circle was kind of born out of that. And then also because I have so many clients who are just stuck at home and like, this is usually a time where you make new mom friends, they're going to classes, creating a community of of mothers who will follow you through this entire journey and, and be there to you as you grow. And so and that's why I started growing together. And it's been such a gift. I love it so much. We meet once a week and kind of there's, there's women from all over the country. And so that's something that I would have never done had it not been for COVID. But I think in a way, it's like this really beautiful opportunity for people to connect on all different fronts, from, you know, in different places. So I have some moms who, you know, just found out they're pregnant and some who are due, you know, in 10 weeks when the class is up, um, which is also so nice because then as they give birth, we're all on a group chat together. They're able to, Oh my God. Actually, this made me cry last night. It was the most beautiful thing ever. But in my first circle, one of the moms, and these were two moms from LA, they've never met in person, but they, you know, connected through the circle. One mom gave birth a few weeks ago and or a few months ago now. And then a, another mom who gave birth two nights ago, her baby was having a hard time feeding. And so she needed breast milk for her baby. She wrote to me and was like, I don't know what to do. And I was like, you know, so-and-so who's in the group just gave birth and she has a bunch of milk. I actually have some in my freezer because I was bringing it to another mom and they connected and she's like, I will supply your baby with breast milk. And so the two women in the circle who men have been like supporting each other in that way, which is like, just, I don't know. It was, we were all getting very <laughs> that um, Yeah. That's, so I'm, and that I, is so like, beautiful. Ultimate way of, I think, you know, showing up for, for one another is literally like providing that life force for each other's children. And I like, it does take a village. And I think the more we start to treat each other's children as our own, the more we have hope for this planet. In that vein of thought of thinking about how we are right now, we're obviously in a lot of solitude and isolation, which for people who might not be familiar is something that could lead to postpartum in a way. And I read a story the other day, so I'm, I, again, I'm not going to say with 100% certainty that there was an uptick in postpartum depression this year because of everything going on. Is there a practice that you recommend to mothers, expecting mothers that might be listening or even just friends who want to help their friends who have just have had kids that has, you know, been most impactful for you and your clients. 
Yeah, you know, I, I've kind of from the beginning have said this, and it's again maybe not not the right thing to say at all, but I do think in our guidelines of isolation, which obviously have benefit and a medical basis, we're also excluding our medical knowledge of the risks of isolation. And I think that I know that parenthood and especially new parenthood is never, ever, ever intended to be done alone, ever, not ever. And it really breaks my heart that in this time people are asked to be doing that. So I've really been straight up with my clients about being like, look, you know, you go to a rave, but do not judge yourself if you need to see a friend, if you need to get, if you need to have family, if you need to have a night nurse, whatever that looks like for you, that, that is, is I think really crucial in preventing postpartum mood disorders. And then there's also another, a a whole bunch of ways that people can be creative in showing up for others in isolation and food is a really beautiful way to do that. Meal trains, making sure the family's nourished. That's a way for somebody who might be, you know, more high risk or in an area where cases are, you know, higher to feel the support and love of, of others through, through food. This year I had literally all of my closest friends were pregnant. Everybody. It was amazing. It was the best thing ever. But um, in my lack of experience, I, you know, was doing my rounds and being like, like, what do new moms really need? Like, what can I really get them as a gift? And the one thing a lot of my friends who have had kids recommended was this book called The First 40 Days, which I'm sure you're so familiar with. (laughs) But I gifted it to all of my pregnant mom, friends, sisters, amazing humans. And it's basically a cookbook of recipes that help with postpartum. So if you do have a friend who's pregnant right now and you want to help them out and give them a gift, like Carson just said, the best gift is food. And what a better way to, especially if your friend loves to cook, maybe make her recipe from that book or give it to her, whatever it is. And I always recommend my clients get that book and then cook the soups in pregnancy and freeze them. And I actually had pre-COVID a client have a baby shower where she invited all of her friends over and they printed out a page of the, like everyone got a page of the book and they like turned her mom's kitchen into like a big commercial kitchen and every oh, I love this our made a soup to freeze I love this it was that's awesome and she and this is so heartbreaking but the Woolsey fire came burned her parents house down with all the soups and that was like the first thing that came from I was like not the soups and Hang, who wrote the first 40 days, I, I wrote to her because she's a mutual friend and she supplied my client with food. Oh. But I do think that that is still such a really creative baby shower idea. And you can obviously do it at a distance and, you know, have people deliver. Totally. Deliver soups. I mean, please. again, like what a better way to like quite literally like feed and nourish a friend that is going into this like beautiful new chapter of their lives. Like that's awesome. So we've just outlined some pretty great tips for friends like me who are have expecting mothers in their lives. But what is the biggest tip that you have right now for expecting mothers themselves? Oh man, biggest tip to really become informed, right? Like just learn, learn about your choices. I do think that it's, it is really hard to be your own advocate and to kind of, you can't plan birth. You can't control birth. You have to surrender to the process, but 
that doesn't mean you don't also don't have control over um, the way you're treated, the kind of care you receive and, and the choices that you make along the way. And so I'm, I'm a big believer in like become educated, learn, 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 and then throw it away. I love that. Thank you so much for coming on the show. This was so beautiful and so educational. And I think such an important conversation for so many people to dip their toes into and hopefully go home and do their own research and really dive in, like you just said. Thank you so much. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of Friend of a Friend. Before you go, make sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and at tiermedia.com. And for more behind the scenes of the show, visit us at friendofafriend.us and follow me at Liv Perez on Instagram. Don't forget the two Vs. See you next week.